to be. All right, well, let's 2 Kings 17, but let's pray and we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Uh, Lord, this is a heavy text tonight. We know as judgment finally comes after literally hundreds of years of your people walking in open rebellion against you, and you finally, as a gracious God as you are, you're also a righteous God. And judgment is coming for those who continue to reject you. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be stirred up tonight by your word, that we'd fall more in love with you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So last time, it was a few weeks back, we looked at, in, in chapter 16, I titled the message, you got to serve somebody. And we saw the depths of depravity of man, that we're to trust in the Lord not, or pursue the world. You have to choose one drawing closer to the Lord or further away from Him. Every one of us, either, you're either closer to the Lord today or further away from the Lord today than you were yesterday. And it's, it depends on how much time we spend with Him, making Him a priority and making Him the passion of our lives. Uh, newer isn't always better. And we talked about worldly success uh, means nothing if you don't know Jesus. Now this week, finally, after Wicked king after wicked king after wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. After idolatry, and we saw even sacrificing their children on the altar to the god Molech and heating up their children and setting them on fire and just how far away they'd gotten from the Lord. And God is gracious. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And tonight we're going to see basically the end of Israel. Israel is going to go away tonight. Every week we talk about the 10 northern tribes being Israel and the two southern tribes being Judah. And the reason they were divided was because of Solomon's unfaithfulness and God taking the kingdom away from him so he didn't have the full kingdom. Well, we have not had one, not one good king in several hundred years in the northern kingdom And tonight we're going to see the end of the northern kingdom, at least for now. We know Israel comes back later, but right now we're going to see them face the righteous judgment of God. Now Judah will remain, but we're going to get to chapter chapter 18 next week, and God's going to deal with Judah. So if you have your outline, grab it. And this is going to sound like a heavy outline because it is. It's 41 verses. We're going to cover a lot of ground. I tell the message, you're either for me or you're against me. You know, there's no middle ground when it comes to the Lord. You're either born again, you're either a saint or an ain't, amen? You're either saved or you're not. You either know him or you don't. You're either a friend of God, a child of God, or an enemy of God. And if you don't know where you are, you're not a friend of God. No decision is a decision when it comes to the Lord, amen? So you're either for him or you're against him. We're going to see being not as bad isn't enough to escape judgment. We're going to see this king, this last king described in Israel as not being as bad as some of the other horrible kings. And if he wanted to judge himself against uh, Ahab, for example, and Jezebel, he could say, well, I'm not as bad as them. But guys, we do not compare ourselves to other people. We could always find somebody worse than us. But guys, we are compared to Christ. He doesn't grade on a curve, he grades at the cross. Righteous judgment is coming for all who reject the Lord and trust false gods or their own good works. Number two, God finally says that's enough. You know, sometimes we too can participate in sinful behavior and we can walk in it for a length of time and we can think because God has not brought judgment that somehow that's God's permission for it to continue. 
But the reality is that while God suffers long, he won't suffer always. And while you may get away with some ungodly behavior for a certain period of time, God's grace is not God's permission. Amen? Because God does not bring judgment right away. Well, we're going to see tonight, after hundreds of years of wickedness, God is finally going to say, that's enough. And you guys, you know there's a day coming when God's going to say that's enough to, the, to this world that we live in. Amen? That he's going to rapture the church. And then at the end of the, the great tribulation is going to come. And at the end of that, we're going to return with the Lord and rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth. And guys, you know, the Bible tells us in the last days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to go back to the days of, of wickedness and perversion. And we look at the world we're living in today. We, we, we're living in those times. So God finally says that's enough. Uh, they disregarded God who redeemed them. They, they conform, conformed themselves to the godless nations around them. They secretly and openly practiced idolatry. They rejected the repeated warnings of God, and they forsook God and served idols until judgment finally came. Point number three, those who do not fear God will endure his judgment. This is not a popular message today, but here's the reality. Guys, we should take this seriously. Hell is a real place. Amen? Amen? And the Bible says broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to salvation. So most people are going to spend eternity in hell. And guys, that should bother us. Amen? We should be losing sleep over it. Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. God's desire is that we all have an intimate relationship with him. And God demanded to be feared among the people of the land, even if they came from other nations. See, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When we fear God, when we, when we recognize the greatness of our God, it, it should bring peace to our hearts to recognize who he is. And finally, him alone shall you fear, him alone shall you worship. They feared the Lord, yet served other gods. We get to the last portion. That's how it's going to start off. They feared the Lord, but they served other gods. Well, you're not fearing God enough if you're serving other gods. Amen? Now, again, the fear that we have is not, it's not this uh, tormented, you know, you know we're, we're scared to death of him. It's, it, it reminds me of my father growing up. You know, my father, I, I grew up when they used to discipline kids right? And, and, and somehow we survived. But the reality is that there was a, 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 a good fear of my dad. It was, a, it was a respect, right? It was a, I looked at my dad and with, with, with reverence, right? I, I loved my dad. I knew he wasn't perfect, but I knew he was my dad. I knew he provided for me. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he would lay down his life for me if necessary. And so there was an awe and a reverence. And guys, we need to have a greater awe and reverence for God than we ever have for any man who's ever been on this planet. Amen? And that fear of God, again, him alone you fear, him alone you worship. We're going to see that they're going to appoint high priests that will, that will, do what they want. And that's what's happening in the modern church today. There's a lot of pastors who are being raised up by people who will tell you what you want to hear instead of telling you what you need to hear. They'll quit teaching the whole counsel of God and they'll skip over chapters like this one. And let me just say this, and, and I'm not God or, or anywhere close. None of us are. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen. But that being said, there's a part of us, I think, that if we could change something about the Bible, 
a lot of us would say, well, can we just get rid of hell? Can we make hell just not be there? Because we don't want people to go there. But you know what? As much as we don't want people to go there, the Lord wants them to go there even less. So much so that he sent, that he came to earth and suffered and died in our place so that we don't have to go there. Amen? But God created, you know, hell was not created for us. It was created for the devil and those who fell from heaven with him. But the sad part is that those who reject the true and living God, God cannot have one sin in his presence. If you have one sin in heaven, you got earth part two. Amen? The reason the earth has fallen is because of one sin. But we're all sinners. We've got a problem. But that's why Jesus came. And because of him, the Father looks at us through the shed blood of his Son, and he sees us as holy and righteous, not because we're good, but because he's good. Amen? So let's begin looking at, you're either for me or against me. Again, I know that was heavy. People here for the first time are like, dude, really? What did you invite me to? Guys, we teach the whole counsel of God. We don't skip over stuff. Amen? And so whatever chapter is next, that's what we're going to teach. So let's begin there looking at, in 2 Kings 17, beginning at verse 1, being not as bad isn't enough to escape judgment. You're either for me or against me. In the 12th year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. Now, the way they dated everything, Judah and Israel was the 10 northern nations. Judah was the two southern nations. Judah was where Jerusalem was. And so whenever they would talk about the north, they would time it based on who was king in the south. So it says there, in the 12th year of Ahaz, who was the king in Judah at the time, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel, and he reigned for nine years. We last saw Hoshea back in 2 Kings 15 as the man who led a conspiracy against Pekah, the king of Israel. After a successful assassinating him, Hoshea took the throne. So he became king by assassinating the king. So this is not a good guy. He killed the king so he could become the king. Every time I read through 2 Kings and Chronicles, I feel like it's like watching The Godfather, right? I mean, people keep knocking off the guy who's in charge so they can be in charge. I think the last thing I'd want to be is king of anything because they're always trying to kill the king. And so Hosea kills the king. He's an assassin. But look what verse 2 says. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not in some of the kings of Israel who were before him. You know, you know the kings are bad when an assassin is saying that he's not as bad as some of the other guys that came before him. All he did was kill the king, that's all. So these other guys were so bad that the guy who killed the king was considered not quite as evil as those guys. Now again, this is why we don't compare ourselves to other people. We can always find somebody worse than us. And people love to have that discussion when they find out you're a pastor. Well, I'm, I'm a good person. Well, okay, compared to who? Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And the word none in the original language means none. So that's you and that's me. Amen? So there's none righteous. But when we compare ourselves, you know, well, I'm no Hitler. I'm glad you got a high bar for yourself. You know, I'm no, I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm no, right? Are you Jesus? Because we all fall short of his glory, amen? We praise God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So evil, but not the worst king Israel ever had. And sadly, his bloody overthrow of the preceding king and his violent ascent to power did not make him unusually evil in the kings of Israel. They were a horrible lot. They were just 
evil after evil after evil. They would kill the prophets of God, King Ahab and Jezebel. They would prop up, they would bring in their false idols and get people to worship the false gods and turn away from the true and living God. And again, too often we're comparing ourselves to the wrong people. While we apart from Christ may not be as sinful as some other people, we're all sinners. And God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. And you know, you can tell yourself that you're not as bad as other people, so God should let me into heaven. You're going to stand before God in judgment day if there is a God. This is the the discussion I have. Most of you guys know I have a full-time job. I call in customers all day, sell advertising, and then I have a lot of coworkers, and they all know my pastor, and so the questions come up. Well, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is one, I give to charity, and you know, I'm, I, I have an elderly guy in my neighborhood. I mow his lawn, and you know, I help people out. I employ people. I'm a good guy, so if there is a heaven, I'm sure I'll get in. Here's the problem with that. Again, there can be no sin in heaven, says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the only way we escape judgment is through Jesus Christ. So here's this man who's not as bad as some of the kings who've gone before him, but he's not going to be compared to the other kings. It's all going to be based on where his relationship is with the Lord. In Hosea, uh, Hosea wasn't the worst of the kings again, but he did continue the same worship to the false gods. So they're worshiping false gods. He kept doing that. Uh, during his reign of judgment, the judgment of God for all the, of Israel's accumulated evil and worship to foreign gods is going to fall on him. Because again, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And because he is a righteous and holy God, righteous judgment is coming. And only those who recognize their sin, repent and surrender their lives to the Lord will be redeemed and forgiven. You will not get into heaven if you read through the Bible a hundred times, but don't give your life to Jesus Christ. You will not go to heaven if you've been going to church your entire life. You will not go to heaven because you were born in a Christian nation. One way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. Amen? And it's only by having a relationship with him. Religion won't save you. Baptism apart from, from repentance won't save you. The only thing that will save you is walking in intimate fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and truly repenting of your sin. Verse 3. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up, came up against him and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. So here he is. He's the king of Israel, and he gets attacked by the king of Assyria. Instead of going to war, instead of getting on his knees and praying, what he does is he pays taxes to the king of Assyria and becomes a, a subservient to him, enslaves Israel to Assyria in a way. So in the pattern of that it happened back in chapter 15 when Menahem, Hosea accepted the status of vassal. If he paid his money and did as the king pleased, he would allow him to continue to be on the throne. You can stay on the throne as long as you do what I want. So you're really not on the throne. I'm on the throne telling you what to do. And so he was willing to do that because he was afraid. He was willing to do that because he feared that they would be conquered. And you know, the same thing happens in our lives. See that the enemy, if you don't know the Lord, the enemy is on the throne of your life and your life is submitted to him. You know, our, it's a, either the flesh is on the throne, we're on the throne, or the Lord's on the throne of our lives. And if it's our flesh, if it's, if it's us, we're really, you know, allowing the enemy to be on the throne of my life. 
and I'm living my life submitted to what my flesh desires. Hosea thought that he had an opportunity when a new king came to a Syrian throne. He was wrong. So what he's going to do now, he's, he sees a new king coming. Look at verse 4. It says, And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So here's what happens. He's been paying taxes. A new king comes along and he thinks, maybe I can overthrow this guy. So he goes down to the king of Egypt. So he gets another idolatrous nation to come alongside him in hopes he can overthrow the Assyrian king. And the word gets out and the king of Assyria finds out and he goes and grabs, and grabs Hosea and he throws him into prison. As you might expect, Hosea did not turn to the Lord. You know what we don't see very often in kings at all? Anybody praying. Every once in a while, we'll see a prophet pop in here or there, but the kings themselves, for the most part, never pray. They're doing everything in their own strength. They're doing everything in their own wisdom, and they're not turning to the Lord. The Egyptians were a constant power struggle with the Assyrians. They hated each other. And so he runs to the enemy of his enemy and says, you can be my friend, and I would rather be on your side than continue to pay tribute to the Assyrian king. Turning from one ungodly, idolatrous king to another ungodly, idolatrous king, and the result was not freedom, but instead he was enslaved. Guys, if we turn from one sinful behavior and we find a way to escape that only to attach ourselves to another sinful behavior, and we never surrender our lives to the Lord, we're just going from one direction that's headed to destruction to another direction that's headed to destruction. And that's what's happening with Hosea. See, every time God allows us to go through a trial, it's an opportunity for us to grow. We've talked about this all through James. Count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. See, trials bring us to our knees. When we can't fix it, when we can't overcome it, we have to cry out to the Lord for his help. And here Hosea, he's had an opportunity after opportunity now to repent for murdering the last king and to seek the Lord. And he doesn't do that. And what happens in the end? He's thrown in prison. If we align it with God's enemies, the results will not be good. The enemy promises freedom and he delivers bondage and consequences. When, the, when Satan whispers in your ear to tempt you, he tempts you with a temporary pleasure, but he never tells you about the long-term consequences. He, he tempts you with, with the pursuit of things that are perishing, but gives you no idea or, or tries to blind you to the fact that consequences will come. In Hosea uh, 10.7, speaking of Hosea, says, as for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig in the water. The prophet says of Hosea, he had no foundation, no stability. He was just floating aimlessly. Here's the reality. If you don't know Jesus, your life is aimless. See, you can be pursuing things in the world and the world can see you as successful and they can see all the things that you've accomplished and they can even be giving you great amounts of praise. But here's the reality. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. 
If you live to be 100 years old and you're the richest man or woman on the planet and you have all kinds of success and comfort and pleasure, but you stand before the creator of the universe and you don't know him and he casts you into hell for all eternity, that's not, that's not a, a life well lived. That's a disaster. Amen? And we've got to quit quantifying uh, success from worldly standards. We, we say you're successful if you drive a nice car, if you live in a nice house, if you wear nice clothes, if you have a lot of money in your bank account. And I'm not saying those things by themselves are inherently evil. They don't have to be. Uh, money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So you can have those things, but those things should not possess you. Those things should not be things that are more important to you than your relationship with the Lord. Amen. And we should recognize it all belongs to him. So point number one, being not as bad isn't enough to escape judgment. Hosea is sitting in a jail cell now. And now the, the king who murdered another king and his own people didn't rise up against him as a murderer. Now God allows the Assyrian uh, government, the Assyrian king to bring the judgment he deserves. Point number two, God finally says that's enough. Guys, there's a day coming when God's going to say that about this planet. Amen? That's enough. Enough already. Enough already. I remember Billy Graham said 20 years ago, he said, if, if God doesn't judge San Francisco, he owes, Sod he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And we're living in a time right now where we are so far away from God. The last days will call good evil and evil good. We're actually, we actually have people that think there's 57 genders. We, we've lost our minds. We are so far away from the simplistic truth of what the word of God says. This is the foundation. Amen? Amen. And people say, trust the science. There's no better science book than this one right here. Amen? And science means knowledge. And he's omniscience. He's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. But you know what? He's a, God, he's a gracious God who desires that none should perish. But there's a time coming when he's going to say that's enough. Look at verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah by the harbor and the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. So here's what happens. The king is now in jail and now Assyria, this idolatrous nation to the north of Israel, comes down and literally besieges Israel and takes it over. And when they do so, what the Assyrians would do and other nations would do, they literally took all, not all, but virtually all the people out of Israel and they transported them, some as far as 700 miles. And they put them into cities in Assyria. A lot of times they were enslaved in those cities. And what they were trying to do was take away their heritage by taking away their land by moving them to a faraway nation, having them assimilate into the Assyrian so that when they had kids that eventually they would just be like all the other Assyrians. Then what they would do is take other people from their kingdom and bring them into the land that they, they conquered. So that land would now be just become part of Assyria because the Assyrians are now living there and the Israelites have been taken out and moved to a faraway land. This happens throughout scripture. Somebody very well known in scripture by the name of Daniel was taken away when the Babylonians conquered Israel and he was drug off into captivity, as we know. And so this is how they would conquer the land. Now, here's the problem that they don't understand. Israel's different than all the other lands because this is God's. 
Amen? See, it's not only the people of Israel that are special to God. It's also the land of Israel that is special to God. Amen? And he says that that is their nation forever. Now, even though he allows them to be kicked out, he's not done. Think about Israel. It's amazing uh, that for 1,900 years, people would mock in the Bible when it talked about Israel because Israel ceased to be a nation for over 1,900 years. And then God brought them back and the only nation to cease to be a nation and then to gather its people back into the nation, a percentage of them, and be a nation again. You know why that's possible? Because God said so, amen? The word of God prophesied it. So here's what's happening. Israel is being ripped from their homeland. They're being taken far away. Now, why does this happen? Hundreds of years. It's been almost 700 years since they were delivered from bondage in Egypt. And during that time, they've gotten further and further away from God, and eventually God brought righteous judgment. See, you can't say it's not fair if you've been warned for 600 years, amen? If God has repeatedly called you back into himself, he's repeatedly tried to draw you back into a relationship with him. And guys, for us, you can give your life to the Lord, and then, you know, this is an old word. If you were a Christian in the 70s, you know this word, being a backslider. Remember that? Oh, he's backslidden. I always just envision him sliding on his back down a mud hill or something like that. He's backslidden. And what would happen is people would go through times where they would rebel against God. You know, a friend of mine who was supposed to be, you know, was a Christian man, started having an affair with another woman. He says backslidden. But see, even in that backslidden state, if you belong to the Lord, he's going to convict you and try to draw you back. Amen? Well, he did the same thing with Israel. And Israel continued to walk in rebellion. And now God's finally said, that's enough. One wicked king after another, refusing to obey God, worshiping false gods, making allegiances with their idol-worshiping neighbors, and God finally says, no more. He uses human instruments to bring about his judgment. So it was a three-year battle over a thousand days for Israel to repent and cry out to God. So for three years, they're being besieged by the enemy. Every day of that, they could have all got on their knees and cried out to God. Can I encourage you? You're here on Thursday night, so this is not likely you. But, you know, if you get in a place where you're walking in rebellion against God and God's bringing judgment or God's bringing consequences, get on your knees and cry out. Amen? Cry out to the Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Israel was conquered. Israel was no more. Assyria took the land for its own and again, as it was its custom, it took the people out, enslaved the able-bodied, uh, trained, trained them and used their talents to bless the new nation, much like they did with Daniel. And again, this was no small task. So Halahe bore and goes on are over 400 miles north and east from Samaria. So Israel south of Samaria, Samaria is north. They took them even 400 miles past that. Imagine dragging all the people out of Israel and marching them off hundreds and hundreds of miles. 200 years since Solomon, 19 kings, all of them evil. The northern kingdom finally falls. By the way, we're going to see in Chronicles, this is pretty gnarly. The way they attached them when they drug them through the land is they stripped them naked and they took fish line and hooks and ran it through their lips and attached them to every person and drugged them. So they were humiliated, they were defeated, and they were drug away like, like animals, fish on hooks. And they drug them away to this faraway land where they now were going to be enslaved. 
all because they would not repent. Amen? Guys, repentance is not a bad word. Repent means to turn away from the evil that we're following, the evil that we're pursuing and surrendering our life to, to the Lord who knows what's best for us. Amen? The way of the transgressor is hard. Led them on these forced marches for hundreds of miles. Again, it was, it was to degrade them, to bring them low. And it was not bad. It was not because the God of Israel could not help them, but because they had forsaken God and ignored his guidance and correction that he finally stopped actively protecting them. You know, there is a part where the Bible talks about that God will turn someone over to a reprobate mind. Like he's bringing conviction. He's trying to watch over and protect them and draw them back. And eventually you put your face in God and say, I don't want any part of you. No, I'm not interested. I don't want to hear from you. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. This is what I want. I don't care. Stop. Leave me alone. Eventually the Bible tells us that God will just turn someone over to a reprobate mind. Okay. And that's a tragic place to be. The fact that we're born again means that the Lord will continue to convict us. So the judgment of God upon his chosen people they're reaping the consequences of their actions and desires. And these are the same people that were once delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They had a deliverer by the name of Moses who parted the Red Sea. He spoke audibly to them from Mount Sinai. God spoke out loud to them. How does not everybody walk with God after that? Amen? And they were so in fear of his voice, they said, Moses, you go up and talk to him because we can't take it when he talks. And yet Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and comes down. What are they doing? Worshiping a golden calf. They just heard God speak. And they're worshiping a golden calf. Guys, but it sounds like us that we hear from the Lord and then yet we just decide not to heed his voice. He gave him the word of God through Moses. The Septuagint, the first five books of the Bible. They had the Bible. They had the word of God, they had the Ten Commandments. He led and provided them for them through the wilderness. There was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And every morning they would wake up and they would look to see if the cloud moved and they would follow it. So the Lord led them every step of the way. He dropped manna from the sky. None of their clothes wore out as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. What's amazing about God did all of these things and no doubt those, those truths were told by the kids to the grandkids to the great-grandkids. Then they went into the land of Canaan. God gave them victory over all the giants in the land. God delivered them in mighty and powerful ways. And still, through all of that, they forgot God. Sounds kind of like our nation right about now. Amen? We truly were founded as a Christian nation, but we are a Christian nation no more. There's a Christian remnant. We certainly are not a Christian nation anymore. We too are blessed. We've been given the truth. We've, uh, we have the completed revelation. We have the whole counsel of God. And it's up to us individually to surrender our lives to him. God has no grandchildren. So you're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved because, again, you do good works. So we've seen the fall of Israel. The rest of the chapter will deal with the reasons for their fall. So they've fallen. Now he's going to tell us why they fell. He's going to give us details of what happened. Again, showing the reasons why God permitted such a desolation to fall upon the people that he has loved for so long. Look at verse 7. So it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. Here's the whole, everything else is going to give detail. This is their sin. 
This is their sin. Let me read it again. Here it is. What did they do? They sinned against the Lord their God, and then at the bottom, they feared other gods. So they sinned against the Lord, and they showed reverence to other gods. Therein lie, everything after this is going to describe what the, how that sin was manifested in the children of Israel. Guys, if we don't fear God, we don't have a relationship with God, we are walking in open opposition to God. Again, we're either for him or we're against him. This is the reason for their captivity. It says in Leviticus, I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. This was 700 years earlier before this happened in Leviticus. It was prophesied this would take place because of their disobedience. So number one, they disregarded the God who had redeemed them. God who had delivered them from Egypt, the God who provided for them through the wilderness, the God who had been so faithful to them even when they were faithless. Number two, they conformed themselves to the godless nations all around them. Look at verse eight. And had walked in statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. So what did they do? They began to follow the laws of their neighbors and the false gods of their neighbors. Ahab and Jezebel brought Baal worship and the worship of Asherah. Finally, we see Molech. And what's happening is they're putting up all these altars to all these false gods. And they ceased to travel down to Jerusalem to worship the true and living God. And Jeroboam had even set up golden calves in Bethel and Dan and said, you don't have to travel that far. This is closer to where we are. Just come worship a golden calf here. That's as good as worshiping the true and living God down there. And it's tragic that people would choose convenience over true worship. Amen? But sadly, sometimes people do. Yeah, I started going to that church. It's a block closer to my house. Look, here's the reality. Go to the church that teaches the word of God, not, not the one that's closest to your house. Amen? The one that's closest to the word of God, that teaches the whole counsel of God. Instead of following the Lord who had delivered them and cast out their enemies, they became like the pagan idolaters that God had delivered them from. Satan hates you. He wants you dead. He wants your family dead. He wants you all destroyed. And he will lie to you. He will lie, cheat, steal. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's coming after you and he's coming after your family. And you know what we need to do? We need to recognize him for who he is. We need to resist the devil. He will flee from us and surrender fully to the Lord. Amen? And if we don't do that, if you try to overcome Satan in your own strength, uh, you're in trouble. He said, God had cast them out of the Canaanite nations in the days of Joshua because of their sins. Now he's casting them out of Israel for the same sins. And again, they were serving gods that they had made. I've shared this with you before. I've been to India seven times, and I was there a couple times during Diwali, which is the high Hindu holiday. And one of the times I went through the largest Hindu temple in the world. Most people said, it's demonic. You shouldn't have gone. I said, Lord, you've got me. I just, I want to see all these people in here and what in the world they're doing. And the sad part was people were on their knees praying to statues of elephants, praying to statues of monkeys, praying to statues. And and your your heart just breaks because they're crying out to a God that was chiseled out of concrete or marble 
And they're praying to this God, not a God, that somebody created. And it breaks your heart. And then they would say to me, they would find out I'm a Christian. They, I was told not to tell people I was a Christian during Diwali because it gets pretty violent. And uh, Ramadan was at the same time that year. So the Muslims and the Hindus are about 50-50 and the Christians are about one-tenth of one percent. And I'm teaching pastors there. And they're, they're saying, well, you know, what is your faith? I said, I'm a born-again Christian. And guys with me, interpreters are like, bro, don't. I'm, like, I'm not denying God right here. They can't threaten me with heaven, amen. But when you would talk to these people, one of the Hindus said to me, we have 30 million gods. You only have one God. We have 30 million gods. You only have one God. I said, yeah, you've got 30 million people's craftsmanship that isn't a God, that's a dead stone. And I've got the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God who loved us so much. He went to the cross of Calvary and suffered and died that we might have eternal life and then rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. That's the God we serve. And we need to not be ashamed of that, amen? amen? We need to speak it, shout it from the mountaintops. Gods they had made out of stone or wood or metal. And what are the first two commandments? What are they? No other God before me. And what's the second one? No graven images. And what are they doing? They're breaking the first two commandments. They're breaking the first two commandments. Again, the first two things God said, no other gods before me, no graven images. What are they doing? And, and he is their God, and they are his people. They're committing spiritual adultery. Amen? We're knit to him. And they're going out, and again, in a way, lying with another, a false God. Point number three, they secretly and openly practiced idolatry, verse 9 through 12. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense in all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away from before them, and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. If you are making God angry, that's not good. Amen? And they're the people that God had them defeat, the people that God gave them victory over, the Canaanites in the land, they went right back and rebuilt some of their altars and started worshiping the very gods, the very false gods, the idols that God had given them victory over it. Notice it said there in the beginning, they did it secretly. Here's the reality, guys. If you're involved in something you feel you need to keep secret from those close to you, there's a good chance it's wrong. Amen? You know, the transparency is so needed. Uh, my wife knows everything about me and a lot of, and so do the pastors here. And, that, and we should be that way. Amen? We should be transparent. If there's something you're doing in the dark, it's probably not something you should be doing at all. If you're hiding it, you're on it. You know when the enemy attacks you the most? When you're alone. Amen? got phones now. You can do everything on that phone that, that, that used to be, you know, 50 years ago, you had to go out in public. You can gamble. You can look at pornography. You can start an adulterous relationship. You can, you can look at all kinds of garbage. Amen. And the sad thing is, if you've got to keep it secret, if you're keeping it to yourself, it's probably something you shouldn't be doing. It says in 1 John, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
He wants to isolate you. He wants you to keep things to yourself. And by the way, your sin will find you out. Amen? And even though you think you're hiding it, the one who matters the most sees it all, and that's God. Amen? Now, notice it says in verse 11, and they burned incense. They did wicked things to provoke the Lord. Verse 12, for they served idols for which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. So the Lord had made it really clear in his word. He had commanded them. He had told them, and they did it anyway. Guys, you know the problem in our country right now, in our world right now? It's not what the Bible says and proving that the, what the Bible says. They already know what the Bible says, and they don't care. Amen? You bring up the Bible, and they... Oh, book written by a bunch of men 6,000 years, you know, 2,000 years ago. Just a book written by men, and then, they, then they'll turn around and quote Plato to you or something like that. And they'll quote all these false... God, and again, we know what the Word of God says... We're the mo- we have more access to the Word of God than anyone who's ever lived. Amen? Commentaries on the Bible, Christian radio stations, comment- and we have, we have everything, every access to the Word of God we could possibly want. People died so we could have this Bible. Amen? And praise God for that. Amen? But we have this Bible, and too often we're so busy watching Netflix, we don't open up the Bible. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? We need to open up the word of God and read it and obey it. But the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from opening up the word of God. Rebellion and sin cloud the judgment of men, and clearly the judgment of Israel was affected. Their judgment was impaired enough to think they could sin secretly against God who sees everything. And they built for themselves these false idols, and like the nations before them, they walked in open rebellion against God. Point number four there under number two, they rejected the repeated warnings of God. Look at verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways, keep my commandments and statutes according to all the law, which I commanded your fathers, which I have sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So he, he repeatedly came and warned them over and over and over again. And the Lord does the same to us. You know, as children of God, if you're, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And even when you think about sinning, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Can I get an amen to that? You haven't even done it yet. You're thinking about doing it, and the Holy Spirit's doing this, amen? Holy Spirit's getting your attention. Why? Because those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. What does he do? He draws us back. He convicts us so, so that we don't drive off the cliff. And he's been warning the children of Israel over. Every prophet is warning them of the same thing. Prophet after prophet after prophet. Jeremiah, you know, he had a, a ministry where he ministered for decades and nobody got saved. But he kept preaching it. And guys, it's not up to us to save people, but it is up to us to proclaim the truth. Amen? Look what it says. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but they what? What does it say? Stiffen their necks. So that's a term that comes from the Bible. You ever heard of someone with a stiff neck? You got a stiff neck? That comes from the word of God. And what those were, it, it's a, a description of cattle that are going in a direction they don't want to go. And no matter how much you pull on them, they, they, they stiffen their neck to draw you in the opposite direction. So we had a thing called a goad, and what it was was a stick with metal on a, a pointy metal end. And what they'd do is they'd start hitting the, the cattle till they would finally loosen their neck and go back in the direction they were supposed to go. 
They would bring the discipline necessary to unstiffen their necks. And sadly, we see that they, again, these stiff-necked people who are so determined to go in a direction contrary, says, like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord, their God. So tragic. Their sin was first against the law, but finally, again, the, the grace of God and the love of God as he continues to cry out, eventually they become so hardened of heart that they won't even respond to the conviction that God brings them. We need to heed God's warning or face God's righteous judgment. See, when God gives you a way out and then gives you another way out and then gives you another way out, I've shared this with you many times that, you know, I've been a pastor 33 years and I'll be in counseling sometimes or I'll be talking, you know, I'll be counseling somebody and they'll look me in the eye and tell me they know what they're about to do is wrong they know what they're about to do is contrary to what the Word of God says, and they've just decided they're going to do it anyway. And they just look at you and say, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm just going to do it. And you're like, bro, I'm telling you right now, here's, here's the consequences that are coming. And guess what? The consequences always come. You may get away with it for a period of time. I shared that story where a guy came in, he had a wife and three daughters, and his wife was pregnant with their fourth child, and he had connected with his high school girlfriend online, and he was going to leave his wife and his three kids and the fourth one on the way to go be with her. And I said, bro, God's going to bring another godly man, They're going to marry, she's, he's going to marry your wife, and those four kids will be calling him dad, and this relationship you're going to get in, is going to, that's more important to you than the Lord, is going to bring about destruction before it's over, and you're going to wake up one day and recognize this is the worst decision you've ever made, because you're not only cheating on your wife, you're rebelling against Almighty God, and the, the oath you took on your wedding day just before Almighty God, the vow that you took to your wife. And he just said, I don't care. Two years later, I did her wedding to another guy. That relationship lasted four months, and all four of those girls now call him dad. Guys, I'm telling you, God knows what's best for us, amen? And we want to obey him because he loves us. And he wants to keep us from harm, not keep us from fun. Amen? And sadly, their necks are stiff and they don't care what it says. We're going to do what we want to do anyway. Verse 15, they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. And they followed idols, became idolaters, went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not be like them. There's a warning for all of us. One of the biggest things that happens in the Christian church today is we're becoming more and more like the world. And I'll even hear Christians say to me, well, we need to be more like the world so we can reach them. And they'll try to say things like, well, Jesus ministered to drunkards and prostitutes. Yeah, but he didn't drink with them. And he wasn't, and he wasn't uh, hanging out in a brothel. Amen. He ministered to them but he was not participating in their behavior. And here's what happens. We get desensitized to sin when we're around the world too much. Amen? You start hanging around a bunch of people all about money, guess what? You're going to be focused on all about money. You hang out with a bunch of people who have a, you know, a, a, a loose lifestyle, and before you know it, you're kind of agreeing with them or you're becoming more like them. You become like, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, you become like the people you hang out with. Amen? I would always say, look at your friends. That's your future. And so we, if we are hanging out with the world, now look, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. The boat's in the water, but don't let the water in the boat. Amen? 
You know, we're in the world, we're to minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with it. We want to see people saved, but we don't become like the world to reach the world. The reason that people were attracted to Jesus is not because he was like the world, because he was nothing like the world. Amen? And the, the sad state of affairs here is that they became like the people around them, and that's a warning for all of us. Number five there, they forsook God and served idols until judgment came. Look at verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves a molded image and two calves and made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal. How many times does Baal need to get whipped before they get over it? What happened when the prophet of Baal, who was the guy that called down fire, Elijah, do you remember this? He went in and first of all, he kicked over all the idols. When I get to heaven, after I hug on Jesus, you're going to have to get behind me to hug Jesus. I'm going to, but after we hug on Jesus for a while, I want to have, you know, a burrito with Elijah, man. Dude, I love this guy. He goes, everybody else worships idols. He goes and kicks them all down. And then he tells Ahab it's not going to rain for three years. And Baal was one of the things that Baal was supposed to be is a God of lightning and, and, and rain. And so here's your God. It's not going to rain. And then he challenges all the prophets of Baal and they go out and march around and cry out to their God that doesn't exist. And then he cries out and he, and he mocks them. Your God, oh, certainly he's a God. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping, right? He's mocking them. And then he calls down the fire from heaven, from the true and living God. It not only destroys the altar, it literally licks up all the water, destroys everything about it. And then they take all the prophets of Baal and put him to death. Fast forward to now, and they're worshiping Baal again. Why would anybody worship Baal? He got, he got, literally, he got smoked by Elijah, amen? He's not a true, our, the true and living God revealed the phony for who he is, that he doesn't even exist, and yet people keep running back to that same false God. It is so, so tragic. Just shows the, the grace of our God that that he continued to give them opportunity after opportunity to repent. Jeroboam had initiated the worship to the cows. We talked about that in, in Dan and Bethel. And they continued that worship and began to serve Baal. And it says, no, look at this. Verse 17, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. We talked about this last week. So what they would do, one of their gods, Molech, they would heat up, the, heat up their hands and it, would, you know, it was made of iron and they would get literally turned red and they would take their living baby and put it on the hands of the false god till it burned to death. And they did that as an act of worship to a god that they made out of metal and heated up. And they would burn their babies to it. And you hear that and you think, well, that's more horrendous than anything we do. We've killed 40 million babies in our country. That's more, than the, that's more than the population of California. And we kill babies and we use that as an excuse because, well, it's inconvenient. I don't want it to get in the way of my career. Well, I was just on a one-night stand and the baby is the one that gets punished for the sins of its parents. Amen? And guys, we cannot even point back to them and say that we're better than them because what we've done as a nation is worse. Now, let me just say this. If you had an abortion in your past especially before you knew the Lord. Our God's a God of love and grace and mercy, and he forgives you. But don't do that ever again. Can I get an amen to that? We want to be faithful. They practice witchcraft and soothsaying. They don't pray, but they practice witchcraft. 
They practice, uh, northern tribes embrace the same occult practices that the Canaanite tribes did. So instead of crying out to God, they're crying out to, you know, false gods and, de- and demonic, and they're allowing witches. Now, this, pray for this lady across the street from my house. One of the things we've been praying about since my son went to heaven nine weeks ago is one of the things my wife has asked for. I don't know how theologically sound it is, but I, we pray for it anyway. Because it happened so quickly and he's gone and we miss him. We know he's in heaven and we trust that. But she's like, can God just let me see Mark in heaven in a dream or something? And I said, babe, God can do that. And I've talked to people where God has done that with people in their family. So God can do that. So this lady across the street came over and said, well, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist and I can bring you into this thing and then you, we can call the spirit of your son to... No, 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 no. No. We will pray to the true and living God about this, but we're not going to, you know, you know, get the witch at Endor. Amen. Saul cried out, you know, went to the, visit the witch at Endor. Remember that? So guys, no. Guys, we want only what comes from the true and living God. Amen. And he alone is God. And you know, some of that, here's one of two things that's true about psychics and, and all this stuff. One of two things is true. They're either complete phonies trying to rip you off, and that's the better option, or it's demonic. Amen? So if the best of the two is you getting ripped off, that's not good. We don't want any part of that. Amen? Flee from it. We don't want any part of that. Therefore, God was angry with Israel and removed from his sight. There was none left, verse 18, of the tribe of Israel. They provoked him to anger. There was none left. Took them all away. Said there was the tribe of Judah alone. In 2 Chronicles, they, they along with, their, with others were set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, then moved from the northern kingdom to Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So there were some of the other 10 tribes that earlier when they started worshiping golden calves, some of them had migrated down into Judah to worship the true and living God. So even though the tribes as a whole, for the most part, were gone, there were still remnants who had fled to Judah to worship the true and living God. So there still were some of the 12 tribes of all the other 10 tribes, especially the Levites, that had become part of Judah. Verse 19, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes which Israel of Israel, which they made, and the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of their plunderers, and he cast them from his sight. Do you know of all the punishments, that might be the worst? Not just the fish hooks through the lips and being drug off to a faraway land while you're naked and being degraded, but now it says he removed them from his sight. His eyes were on them no more. No longer was he going to protect them. No longer was he watching over them. He had said, enough is enough. I've tried for hundreds of years. I've sent prophets. I gave you my word. I've called you back into myself. And eventually, guys, if we harden our hearts so hard, eventually God will just let us have what we desire. He will not force himself on us. Again, Judah had a lesson right in front of them, and they too were falling into the same trap as Israel. Boy, you look at this and you think, does anybody love God anymore in the whole nation? And sometimes we can feel that way. We look around our world and we wonder, does anybody still love the Lord? Praise God, that's why we need to be in church more often, amen? Forsake not the getting yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Verse 21, for he tore Israel from the house of David, 
They made Jeroboam son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he, as he said by all his servants and prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So when this was written, they were still in captivity. They had been taken out of the land of Israel. God had warned them that it was going to happen. They continued. It started off with Jeroboam, who was the king after Solomon, who brought the golden calves because he didn't want them going down to worship in Jerusalem. And from there, it just went idolatry after idolatry. See, here's what happens in all of our lives. One little compromise leads to another one. Amen? So when you, when you have a compromise in your walk with the Lord and you say, well, that's just one thing and that's just, I'm going to hang on to this one area of my life and, you know, it's not that bad. And you start compromising in it. Somebody said this at the pastor's conference. I thought it was one of the most powerful things. And this is kind of scary. Seven, he said 78% of all men who attend church look at porn on a weekly basis. And almost 50% of all pastors. It's an epidemic. Amen? And here's what his follow-up statement. He said, you cannot be compromising your faith and expect God to use you in a mighty and a powerful way. You know, one of the greatest ways to be used by God is to pursue holiness. Amen? Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. I, I'm not saved because I'm obedient, but I want to be obedient because I'm saved. Amen? I'm saved by grace, not of works as any man should boast. But it's just so tragic. And this is what's happening in Israel. They've been compromising to the point to that they've fallen into the trap. We've got to move up, move along a little quicker here and finish this up. So point number two, God finally says that's enough. Point number three, those who do not fear God will endure his judgment. And again, it's the last thing God wants to do. It's the last thing he wants to do is send people to hell. And God doesn't send them, we send ourselves. Amen. But that's the last thing he wants. But he's also a righteous God. He's not just a, a loving God. He's also a righteous God. And if he's righteous, he cannot turn his eyes away from sin. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He can't. That's why he sent his son to die, so he would be punished for us. But if we reject his son, we'll reap the consequences of our own behavior. So we get in there in verse 24. It says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Shepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possessions of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So as, as we talked about before, what they do is they would bring these, these other pagan idolaters who are part of their kingdom, and they would put them in the land of Israel. And they left them in Israel so that they could take Israel's whole culture away and have it just now be filled with Assyrian people, and they would just continue on in their... And so it, it was a way to take the Israelites out and make them slaves in Assyria and bring other idolaters from their kingdom and stick them in Israel, and you wait a generation, and it's like they were never even there. Well, God's got something to say about that. Because Israel is not only God's chosen people, it's God's chosen land. And we're going to see that. It says there... And so was the beginning of the dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Now, sometimes people don't fear God and the consequences aren't immediate. Look what it says, rest of that verse. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. 
So the king of Assyria says, I need some of you guys to move down into Israel. You need to go into their land because you're going to assimilate. It's going to become a part of our land. They show up in the land. They don't fear God. And he lets lions loose. And they start eating people. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Now, sometimes the consequences aren't that direct, but I think God's making a point here. Israel belongs to me. You're not going to assimilate it into Assyria. You're not going to come in here and mock me and and think you're going to take over this land because that's not going to happen. So he sends lions into the land. Now watch what they do. This is what's interesting. Look what it says. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them and indeed they're they're killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of their land. See, what they think is that just like all the idols they worship, that there's just some charm you have to do to make the God of that land happy. So he'll, you know, bring the lion, you know, call the lions back. And so they think that there's some magical charm and they want to just appease the God of that land so the lions won't kill them instead of recognizing that he's the true and living God. So what do they do? Look at verse 27. The king of Assyria commanded saying, send there one of the priests whom they brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Here's the problem. All the priests in Israel were a mess. They were all worshiping to idols. They were, they were worshiping to golden calves. So they brought back one of these priests that wasn't worshiping the true and living God to try to help them to know what magic spell they need to use to to make the God of Israel happy. So sad when those who are called to lead God's people are people that lead people away. Let me say this. If you're in ministry, again, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But somebody who leads in ministry should be a godly example that others can follow. Amen? If you're, if, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15 qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character, only one speaks of gifting. Too often we focus on how gifted someone is. Give me a godly man of character, we'll help him develop his teaching gift than a really gifted guy who has bad character. Amen? And here we have Let's call in a man of no character and have them lead us further down this disastrous road. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, that's where they had the golden calves, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. What's interesting, Samaria had some some of the Jews were left behind. They took the ones that would be great slaves and they would leave some in the, in the land and just assimilate them. Well, those people intermarried and that's where the term Samaritan, that's where Samaritans came from. The woman at the well, they called them half-breeds, right? Because they were half Jew and half Gentile and they had come together. This is where it all starts right here. The woman of the well is a descendant of these people. Then the men of Babylon made Sokoth Benoth, the men of Kuth, made Nurgle, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Abites made, these are all gods they're making, Nebahaz and Tarkok, the Servites burned their children in fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Seraphim. By the way, if, if there's a God that wants to burn my children, I'm out. 
Amen? We serve a God who died for us. People get mad every time I say this, so one more time won't hurt. Here's the reality. Muhammad was the prophet of the sword. The way he converted people, they went around with a sword, they put it to your, to your throat and said, convert or die. You get some current converts that way. Convert or die. Muhammad, I wrote this on my Facebook page. I had people blowing up at me. I said, Muhammad and Jesus, here's the difference. Muhammad said, follow me or I will kill you. Jesus said, follow me because I died for you. Those are different. Can I get an amen to that? We serve a true and living God who'd rather, who, who's willing to die for us. He doesn't want us sacrificing our children in such a pagan and ungodly way. Let's finish up. So verse, uh, we're on the last point now. Him alone you shall fear, him alone you shall worship. It says there, so they feared the Lord, verse 32, and every class that appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines and high places. So here's the problem. You got to serve somebody, not everybody. So they feared the Lord, but they kept worshiping the false idols. You can't do both. Rebellion or obedience, choose one. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Amen? So they say they fear the Lord, but they kept making sacrifices to these false idols. Does, uh, does that describe your walk? You show outward reverence for God, attending church, acknowledging him on the Lord's day, at the same time bowing before the gods of this world. Money, pleasure, comfort, material wealth, the praise of men. Guys, we need to be careful. It's too easy to... You know, you've heard me say it. You can't have one foot in the world and the other foot in the kingdom. You know, choose today whom you're going to serve, either for me or against me. There's 34. To this day, they continues practicing their former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or ordinances or the law, the commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. God had given them a name. God had given them his word, and they continued to walk again in direct disobedience. Verse 35, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them saying, you shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and him you shall offer sacrifice. We only, we fear God, not men. We worship God and nobody else, the true and living God. And we make sacrifices to him and him alone. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandments which he wrote to you, you shall be cheerful and observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. We don't have to be afraid of the world. Amen? We don't have to be afraid of the false gods of this world either. I had a lady get mad at me years ago. She said, I'm casting a spell on you. I said, go for it. <laughs> Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Headquarters for the Church of Satan was two doors down from where we planted Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. And I used to go down there and try to witness to the Satanists. And I had someone say, well, we're going to bring some. I'll just, I'll just let my God take care of the one that you follow who wants to destroy you. My God died for me. Amen. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to walk in fear of the world. And you know what else? We don't need to fear death either because death has no sting for a Christian. Amen. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And he says, In the covenant I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear. And he will deliver you from the hand of your enemies. Verse 40. However, they did not obey, 
but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. Final point here, that's an example. Do you know that your kids are going to, most often are going to follow the example you give them? And you know, we want to give them a godly example and some of them will still choose to maybe be in rebellion for a period of time. We, we, we will have some prodigal children from time to time. That being said, if you raise them in a godly way, if you taught them the truth, there's a, a truth that's been embedded in them. And we, we're going to continue to pray for them, continue to be a Christ-like example to them. But if you give them an example of a marriage that does nothing but fight and bicker and yell and scream, if you're a dad who never prays with them or opens up the word of God with them, if you're a mom, again, who does not show them Christ-like love in the way that you raise them, don't be surprised when you raise kids who want nothing to do with the God that you serve. Guys, we need to not only tell them, we need to show them by our behavior. Amen? So in closing, you're either for me or against me. Being not as bad isn't escape for judgment right? Not as bad as someone else. God finally will say that's enough. You know, he's going to continue to draw us back into himself, but eventually if we reject him, judgment will come. Those who do not fear God will endure his judgment, and him alone you shall fear, him alone you shall worship. Lord, we thank you for your word. I know this is a heavy chapter tonight, but Lord, we, we know all the grace that preceded it, all the opportunities for redemption, all the opportunities to repent, and sadly, the people chose to continue to shake their fist at you. Lord, let that not be us. Lord, may we keep short accounts with you. We have area of our, areas of our lives where we're, where we're living lives of compromise. Uh, may we repent and seek your forgiveness. Lord, we know we can't do this on our own. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Lord, I cry out for our nation. Lord, that we would see revival that we would return again to uh, what our nation was founded on, a nation that honors you and was founded on freedom of religion, freedom to worship you. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Amen.